The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. I'll give you a second to find that now. Again, Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your, t- to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Kelvin. Good morning. Hope you're well. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here at Park Church. Um, this is a really beautiful passage, really well-known passage, and it's something that, for me, this whole week has been stirring in my heart. It's been convicting me, uh, challenging me, but also really encouraging me this week as I've considered it, and I I pray it'll do the same for you. Um, I want to just kind of like enter into the promise right now. What Jesus is saying here is that we can actually go before the God of the universe and ask him for things, that we can seek him for things. We can knock on the door of his throne and ask him to move, and so as we pray right now, what we're doing is we're asking the Lord God, the Father Almighty, to actually work in power among us this morning. So would you join me as we pray? Um, Jesus, we want to say, first of all, thank you for what you've done to display the love of the Father for us and towards us and what you've done to reconcile us to the Father of love. And so, Father in heaven, maker of heavens and earth, we pray that you would even now, even today, in powerful ways, um, work in us, that you would open our eyes to see who you are, to know your love for us. I pray for people who have never known you as Father. Maybe they've known about you, they've known of you, maybe they've been around people talking about, about you, maybe they've even learned a lot about you, but never known you. Uh, known you as a child knows a father, known you as a son or a daughter. And so I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would awaken them by the power of your Holy Spirit today. That you'd speak life, that you'd cause them to be born again into your family, born of the Spirit, and that from your Spirit, they would cry out to you as Abba, Father. And for those who do know you, uh, today, Holy Spirit, would you awaken us yet again in fresh ways to know our need for you, our dependence on you, our desperation for you, that we wouldn't keep wandering again and again to try to live life absent from your fatherhood, absent from your love, but we live in desperation and in trust and in dependence and in love. And so would you work in powerful ways among us today? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, it is uh, the time of year where we begin to think about what we want for Christmas. It's, uh, it's that time of year. We're in mid-November, believe it or not, and uh, kids start creating Christmas lists about these times. You know, you start hearing, you know, what, what our children are saying, 
And I've, I've shared this in the past, but it's also the time of year for me when I begin to kind of like think about uh, what I want, but I don't almost ever kind of like put it on this like Christmas list. I typically, because my birthday and Christmas are right next to each other, I begin to think like, hey, there's this like item I want. And so I think about what it is. I think if we could combine kind of like, you know, Christmas and birthday gift for me, then we could get this thing. But I, in my impatience, this is an indictment on myself. It's my own, probably my own immaturity, inability to wait. But I start thinking just logically, like if we're going to be getting this from our own family budget, like why not get it now and have it for the next month and a half? Like what's the point of waiting until Christmas? And so this is typically the time of year where I will personally be like, hey, you know, it's that time of year. We've kind of been wanting a smoker. Maybe for Christmas and, and our birthday, we go ahead and get a smoker. But why don't we start enjoying that smoked meat in mid-November instead of waiting till January? It makes, it makes sense. And, uh, and part of the reason why it makes sense is because I'm, I'm not good at asking for things. I'm not good at asking for things. It's a lot easier for me to be like, hey, I'm going to kind of get this on my own or do this on my own. I've never been good at asking for things. I've never been good at telling other people what I want. Uh, almost never in my life. In fact, most of my life, it's not so much about expressing to people what I want. I can kind of pursue what I want. I can be driven towards the things I, I desire. I can work hard to kind of accumulate or gain or purchase or acquire things that I want. But to express what I want to someone else and to depend on them for that is really hard for me. It always, it always has been. And it's been hard for me in my relationship with God to express to God what I want and to depend on him to give that to me is a really challenging thing. I can know certain things that I want and I can work hard even to do things I want, even things that are in line for God's, with God's kingdom, saying I, I want to see God do these things, but I'm going to work hard, I'm going to be driven. But to express that desire and to depend on God and to wait on God and to be desperate before him in a place of persistent dependence is really hard for me. To relate to God as a needy and desperate child Trusting in his goodness and his wisdom and his timing and his generosity is challenging for me, and I think it's challenging for a lot of people. It's a challenging for a lot of you. To actually spend time with God on a regular basis, a daily basis, sharing with him the things you desire and depending on him in desperation for him to provide is challenging for many of us, and yet that's what the heart of this passage is about. What Jesus is inviting his followers into is a relationship with God as children would re relate to a father. And at the heart of this particular passage, what Jesus is teaching us is that God actually loves to give good gifts to those who ask him. That God is like a father who delights to give good gifts to those who ask him. And as a person who believes in the, the sovereignty of God and the omniscience of God, he knows everything, he can do everything. It's hard for me at times to understand and kind of get my mind and heart around God's desire for me to come before him and to ask him for things and to believe what scripture very clearly teaches that there are things that people have in this life because they ask God for them that they would not have without asking him. And there are things that people don't experience and have in this life because they didn't ask God. And God, if they were to ask him, would move in power, but because they don't, he hasn't. And how that works underneath the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God and the omniscience of God and the wisdom of God and the God who knows, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, he already knows the things you're gonna ask him. 
How that works, I don't understand. But what I know is what Jesus calls us to is to come to God as children who are expressing to him the desires of our hearts, what we long for, what we crave, what we want. And so my question for you this morning is what do you want? What do you want? What do you desire? What are you desperate for in this life? And the invitation in this passage is beautiful. It says, ask him. Seek him. Knock on the door. And God responds with delight and goodness when we come to him. Now, that's not a complicated thing to understand, but as soon as I say it, you're like, wait, 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 wait. You know, there's complications in our experience of that because there are things you've asked for that you didn't receive and there are things that you longed for and you sought him for that you didn't experience and the things you've knocked on the door and you felt like there was no answer. And so when the promise seems so beautiful, so broad, so encompassing, so inviting and warm, but our experience is maybe left us confused. Does he care? Is he even out there? When I pray to him, is he listening? Does it matter? Is God just going to do what God's going to do? Like, what's the point? And so though the truth of this passage is quite simple, the actual lived experience of it can be really hard. And and that's for a lot of good reasons in our kind of day-to-day experience. So what I want to do this morning is I want to actually unpack in this passage what Jesus is inviting us into in its context and kind of deal with some of the, the difficulties for us. Why is it hard to understand these things? And what is Jesus saying? What's he not saying in this passage? Now, one of the reasons why this is hard for us is because what Jesus is inviting us into, the, in, into in this passage is, is really kind of grates against a lot of kind of the way we tend to live in this life. At the end of the day, Jesus is inviting us into a place of desperation towards God and a trust in God's goodness and his wisdom in our lives. It's both desperation towards God and a trust in him, but both of those things are really hard for us. From the very beginning, from the very beginning of humanity's experience in this world, we as human beings have always sought to actually turn away from God's wisdom and goodness and instead of depending on him to turn towards autonomy to turn towards independence. So in the Garden of Eden, humanity was made to experience the goodness of God, the abundance of God, the generosity of God as they live their lives under the wisdom of his reign. And from the very beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, and he put humanity in the garden, and he said, all of this is for you, all of this goodness I've made for you to enjoy, eat it, enjoy it, live in it, cultivate it, spread it, fill the earth with my goodness in this world, walk with me and trust me. And and there's this tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you to eat of that tree. I want you to trust me to know what's good and what's wrong. I want you to, to depend on me, to trust in my goodness and wisdom and to depend on me. Because the day you eat of the fruit of that tree, you will surely die. The day you kind of take upon yourself, I don't trust you anymore, I don't trust your wisdom, I don't trust your goodness, I'm going to take that responsibility on myself, and I'm not going to depend on your wisdom and depend on your generosity, I'm going to do it all by myself. I'm going to forge my way in life apart from you, without you. The day you do that, you experience a separation from God's reign that leads to death and destruction and pain, and that's what we've all done, that's what we all do. We are prone to wander from the wisdom of his reign and from dependence. And what Jesus is actually inviting us into in this passage, in a very common passage, 
is actually restoring in us a sense of desperation for God and a trust in his wisdom and goodness in our lives. And it's really the mark of Christian maturity. It's to grow as a human being that's not less and less in need of God, but that's more and more embracing an understanding of how desperate we, we are for him. And that life is found as we trust his goodness, trust his wisdom, trust his reign in our life. And so what I want us to do this morning is just unpack it really in, in two parts, is especially understanding sort of the call to pray, to actually relate to God as his kingdom people in a posture of dependence and prayer. And the first kind of part of the passage is simply saying this, that, that our prayers towards God are supposed to come from a place of desperation. We're supposed to actually approach God, to pray to God, to commune with him in a position of desperation. Look at uh, chapter 7, starting in verse 7. It says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. There's this progression to these kind of commands. He's saying, ask, seek, knock. And it's a progression that's leading towards an intensity. So in fact, the actual word for knock here isn't just like a kind of, you know, a polite knock on the door, like you're knocking on the neighbor's door, you ran out of sugar, or you need them to water your plants, or you locked yourself out, whatever it is, and you're like, knock on the door, don't want to disturb them. I know it's weird that I'm knocking on your door, because in our culture, we don't knock on neighbor's doors. Like, you know, as you kind of feel sheepish, like knock, knock, you know, stand back so you don't feel like encroaching. The, the word here for knock is like beating on the door in desperation. Like something just happened, a total disaster. You are in immediate desperate need and you're running to a house and you are banging on the door. Open up, open up, open up, open up. I need you now, I need you now. Pleading like I cannot go away because I'm in absolute desperate need for the person on the other side of the door to open the door. I need them desperately. The idea of desperation has this sense of desire and helplessness. There's something I need. There's something I long for. There's something I want, and I'm helpless to actually get it for myself. And what Jesus is actually inviting us into in relationship to God is a position of total, utter desperation. I cannot live life without you anymore. I can't be a husband without your help. I cannot be a father or a mother without your help. I cannot be an employee that's faithful to you and that's loving my neighbors without your help. I can't lead a church without you. We can't do a church service unless God pours out his spirit. I'm done trying to do this whole life thing on my own. I'm done. I cannot make it on my own. And so I come to the door asking, God, would you pour out your spirit, pour out your grace, pour out your presence. I don't want to live life apart from you anymore. And I'm going to knock and I'm going to knock and I'm going to knock until you finally respond. And our kind of persistence in knocking isn't because he's reluctant. He's not reluctant. We're going to see that in the passage. But it's because we as human beings need to grow in our sense of absolute commitment to our dependence on God. Because here's what I do with God most of the time. God, I'd like you to help me grow as a father. Okay, now I'm going to go back to my life and kind of do my own thing. And then I finally feel like, you know, a couple weeks later, man, I'm messing up as a father. I want to grow. I want to be a better dad. I want to be loving. I want to be present. I don't want to be irritable. I don't want to be frustrated. I want to be kind. And so I go back and knock on the door again. But then I kind of go back to doing it on my own and kind of go back to just trying to like live my life or as a 
leader or as a husband or as a neighbor, or as an employee, whatever it is, occasionally we get to this point of desperation where we need him. And we're so prone to go back to our own autonomous, independent attempt to live life on our own. And what God's wanting to grow in us as human beings is a sense of committed, unrelenting desperation. I will not live a day anymore without coming to you, declaring my absolute need for you. I cannot live life on my own. Because that is the core issue with us as humans, is we turn from God, trying to do it on our own. And what Jesus is inviting us back into isn't this sense of like um, desperation just for the sake of like, hey, prove that you really want me. It's actually you're designed to live your life in utter dependence on the God of the universe. You're designed for it. You're made as a human being not to live life as if you can carry the world and life on your own. You're made as a human being to be dependent on the presence and the power of the God of the universe. And so when we don't abide in his love and we don't trust in his wisdom, we wither, we struggle. And we're so determined to try to make it on our own, like a child that says, I can do it by myself. We're so determined to do it that we feel like we have to get to a major point of crisis before we finally cry out in desperation. There's... Um, a a book by a guy named Paul Miller. It's called A Praying Life. And he's sharing about what somebody in one of his praying seminars said to him. He said this. He said, I'm starting to see that there's a difference between saying prayers and honest praying. Both can sound the same on the outside, but the former is too often motivated by a sense of obligation and guilt, whereas the latter is motivated by a conviction that I am completely helpless to do life on my own. Completely helpless to do life on my own. Now that's hard because for most of us, we kind of spend so much of our life trying to cultivate this sense of self-sufficiency. Like it feels weak to say, I need help. It feels like immature to say, I can't do this on my own. It feels childish. Huh. Huh. What would it be like to grow as a child? I need you. I can't provide for myself. I can't control the world. I can't secure these outcomes. I can't build peace and love and joy and restedness in my soul. I need you. I'm like a child just coming to him in a place of dependence. And what God says is when we come to him in this place of dependence, he will respond. It's right there in the passage. He says, for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now that's, that's hard because there are things that we ask for that it feels like we don't receive. There are things we seek after that we don't find. There are times we knock and it feels like the door stays shut. And so why, why is that? Like what's happening when you're going to God pleading for these things and it feels like, I don't even know if he's there. I don't know if he's listening. Is it just that I don't believe enough? Is he like waiting for me to like knock on the door for like some arbitrary amount of days before he finally feels like, okay, that's enough. Now I'll finally answer. I think we have a hard time because of some of the ways we think about even what we're asking for. Like even in the context here, this is a whole context about Jesus announcing the arrival of God's kingdom. The kingdom of God has come. The reign of God has come. You can be reconciled to your creator and your king and you can know him as father and you can experience the the glory and the goodness and the flourishing life that's found in his kingdom. And so what do you want to experience from God? Ask him. 
But we often think of prayers as these sort of like, maybe it's again kind of rote ritual prayers like mealtime prayer or evening prayer, these sort of lists of things that we say, hey, we want this, we want this. But we're not desperate for it. Like if he doesn't give it, we kind of keep doing our thing. Or a mealtime prayer, it's, it's great to thank God for your meal. It's great to do that. But like when your relationship with God is like kind of these just merely rote ritual kind of heartless prayers, we miss the point. There are times where we have these crisis prayers where we finally kind of hit a point of desperation and then we're banging on the door asking God to meet us, but we go right back into self-sufficiency mode again and again and again. At least I do. And then there are times where we approach God as like a genie in a lamp. Like he exists to grant our wishes for life. And it's certainly more than three. It's over and over and over. We rub the lamp of God's kindness and goodness and we say, sure, you're powerful, you know, and, uh, and you're good and you love me. So give me all the things that I want in life. And we start asking God to kind of help us build our own little kingdoms apart from him. Not asking God for like the power of his kingdom to be poured out on us and on our family and on our friends and on our community and our neighborhood, but we want to keep building our kingdom and are asking God to bless our kind of endeavors to build a kingdom apart from him, to build peace apart from him, to build shalom or kind of a a utopic experience in the world apart from his presence, not dependent on him. And God's just not in the business of like saying, oh, sure, I'll give you all the things you desire. He's because he loves you too much. And he knows what you're designed for. And so there are things we pray for and we ask God for that he's not giving us because we're asking for things that aren't healthy for us. I think about James chapter four, it says this. James is talking about the desires within us. And he says this, you desire and you you don't have, so you murder. In other words, like you have this covetousness in you that leads to anger. He says you covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. He says you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. But there are things that we were asking God for that that what we're wanting to do is gratify our, our kind of like fleshly passions that aren't aligned with his kingdom, that aren't pursuing his wisdom for life and where he says flourishing life is found. And so what he's actually inviting us into is actually to to kind of pray kingdom-minded prayers for your life. God, I want to know your love. I want to express your love to my kids. I want to be kind and patient. I want to see justice roll like a river. I want to see your goodness and your glory shine through the city. I want to use my life today at my workplace to create goods and services and products that bless people. I want to be a teacher who's teaching with wisdom and love and kindness to these kids. I want to go into this experience with these neighbors and just be a blessing to them. I want to know your love and express your love in the this world, I want to experience your presence. And God's like, yes. That's what I want. Now, there are other things we want that are also kind of good things to desire that we often ask God for that are totally appropriate to ask God for. God, I, I want my kids to flourish. I want them to walk with you. I want them to know you and to enjoy you. Or God, I, I long for friendship. I just moved to the city of Denver and I'm not connected and I long for friendship. I know friendship and community is a gift and I'm praying that you'd provide friendship. Or I long to be married. I long to experience marriage and, and, I, and I want you to provide that. Or, or I'm married and we're struggling with infertility and I long for you to to, to give us children. We, we want these things. Or I long for a, a job or a vocation where I can use my gifts with passion. 
or whatever it might be, or there's an illness, and I long for you to heal this person, or I long for you to heal my spouse, or I long for you to end this struggle with chronic pain, and we plead, and we knock, and we ask. And what about those things that are good things to desire? What if, what if you knock and you don't receive those things? Well, what do you do then? Because I think for a lot of us, that's a struggle. And because of that struggle and because of that difficulty, we kind of decide that it's probably not worth asking God for things anyways. Uh, N.T. Wright, uh, one who's a, a brilliant uh, New Testament scholar, said this. He said, for most of us, the problem is not that we're too eager to ask for the wrong things. The problem is that we're not nearly eager enough to ask for the right things. That it's actually really healthy, even where you feel like, man, I, I don't know if God's going to do this or not, but to ask him, to go to him, to actually express your desperation, your dependence, even on those things. But it leads us into the other side of this passage. It's not just expressing our desperation and dependence on him. It's actually trusting him as a good and wise father. Then in this passage, we're invited not just to express dependence and pray from a place of desperation, but to pray to a good and wise and generous father. Um, there's uh, a preacher from the past century named Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he said this. He said, if you should ask me to stay in one phrase what I regard as the greatest defect in most Christian lives, I would say it's our failure to know God as our father, as we should know him. Ah, uh, yes, we say, we, we do know that, and we believe it. But do we know it in our daily life and living? Is it, uh, is it something of which we are always conscious? If only we got hold of this, we could smile in the face of every possibility and eventuality that lies ahead of us. And what, what Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying is we might know that God is Father, we might uh, believe that in our heads, but to actually relate to him in that way, uh, many of us really struggle to do. You know, that's what's being invited to us in this passage, is actually to see God as a, as a good father. Look at what it says in the passage. He says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, will your father who is in heaven give good gifts, good things to those who ask him? Uh, what Jesus is saying, the son of God is saying, is that you can actually know God as a good father. And even the idea of fatherhood was designed by God in this world to show something of the way he relates to us as his children. Now, the reality is that, that many in our church community have challenging experiences with their fathers that make it hard to even understand what a good father would be like, which is why I think it's so powerful what Jesus says in the passage. He actually takes every human father, however good you think your father was or however bad you feel like your father was, however present or however absent, whether you had a father or didn't have a father, and he says, kind of comparatively, human fathers in this world, compared to the goodness of God, the generosity of God, the love of God, they are kind of categorically lumped into this big pocket called evil, uh, which doesn't mean they're the worst that they could have been. It doesn't mean that they're even bad. You might have had a great father, but God, your father in heaven, is so superior is so good, is so kind and so loving that even the human experiences are just a little taste, a little taste. Um, I, think it's, I think it's in particular hard for people that have had a really challenging experience. 
uh, with human fathers. Maybe it's a, a loss of a father. You didn't have a father growing up. Uh, maybe it was an abusive father or an angry father or somebody that was just absent or indifferent in some way or callous or cold. Or, or maybe you had a good father, but it was inconsistent. There are days where your father was great and there are days where there'd be a snap or impatience. Maybe there are seasons that were really sweet and seasons that were really hard. And that's real. That, that stuff's real. When you experience this as, a, as human fathers and mothers are, are created by God to show some image of what God is like, when you kind of live your life as a child under the kind of distortions of that image or misrepresentations of the character of God, it can shape and malform and distort the way we view God. Um, I think of with our kids, part of uh, my hope, my wife and I talk about this a lot, like is that at every stage in their life, what we're trying to do is show our kids a couple of different things. One, mom and dad are in charge. We, We are an authority in your life. And we love you. We delight in you. Those are like the two things. And people are like, hey, what about parenting techniques? That, the techniques change and they're different from kid to kid and they scale over time. And, and for, for kids, it kind of goes from authority towards influence over time. But we're always like, we're an authority in your life and we love you. Because we feel like that's what God's like towards us. He's our Lord, he's our King, he's our God. He guides us with the wisdom of life and he delights in us and he loves us. Now the reality is we fall short. I fall short of that all the time. I fall short of that. I don't show them the kind of love that God shows me. And so when I find myself being irritable or frustrated or short-tempered, what I try to do imperfectly with my kids is just say, hey, when daddy was just irritated, when daddy just raised his voice, God's not like that. Daddy was, daddy sinned against God and against you by getting irritated like that. God is not like that. He's not irritated with you. He loves you. He's not frustrated by you. You're not kind of a botherance to him. We forgive me. And what I'm trying to do is like what distinguish and create some distanciation between what they just experienced in me and what God's like. Because what happens is we grow up as kids and we just assume, well, does God care about how I feel? Am I annoying to God? Does he actually delight in me? Does he actually love me? There are many, many people and I've talked about these types of things in church. They're like, but does he really? Does he really? And the Bible says he he does. He delights in you. He loves you. He's near. He's absent. He's not far off. He's with you. He doesn't leave you alone. He's pleased with you. He's not irritated or disappointed. He's warm towards you, gentle towards you, not callous and impatient. He loves you. And his word is really clear about that. But it creates time. We have to spend time in his word, with his spirit, praying and cultivating a trust in God as a good father. And it takes time. It takes time. And in that position, we have these struggles as we express our desires to him, and those can mature over time little by little. So I think it's a a powerful thing to know that as you experience God as a father, you are invited to come to him exactly where you are on your own journey. Like if my kids come to me and say, Dad, can we have candy before dinner? Sometimes I'm like, sure, sounds good because I get like a plus one over mom for a minute. You know what I mean? Like, like dad gives us candy before dinner. You know, uh, and, but most of the time it's, 
No, like let's have dinner first because it's healthy, right? And little by little, kids learn what's good for them and what's not good for them. It's just, there's a maturation process that's normal in life. And the same is true in our relationship with God, that there's a process of maturity, that we go to God, God, I want this new career. And it's like, we have this like short-sighted sense of like the way things ought to be and what would be good for us. And God just has a broader vision. He knows that there are things that feel pleasurable for a moment that create long-term pain. There are things that are challenging and difficult in the moment that create long-term joy. He knows that in ways that we don't. He knows that in your particular life, things that he gives you and blesses you with are gonna be different than things he gives and blesses to other people because of who he's designed you to be, what he's forging in you, what he's creating you and calling you to in life and where you're at. He knows that there are things that he wants to help you grow through and there are times where he just wants to pour out grace and abundance on you and you have to trust that he's wise in that and little by little in our journey, we learn to trust him more and more and more. Some of the things I have pleaded with God to take away and to change and to, and to do that he hasn't done, he hasn't taken away, he hasn't changed are the things I look back on my own journey now and think those things were so powerful to help me know him, actually to prune things out of me that were unhealthy and destructive, to cultivate certain things in me that I didn't even know needed to be cultivated. And that's hard, but little by little, we learn to trust him and to grow as his children, that trust in his goodness, trust in his love, trust in his reign. And so the call isn't like, wait till you perfectly understand wisdom for life before you ask God for things because you don't want to mess up and ask for the wrong thing. It's ask him for what you want. Right here, right now. What do you want? And know that as you experience the love of God, as you spend time in his word, as you learn his wisdom for life, he will mature and shape and grow you to be the type of person that loves what he loves and desires what he desires. And even when you don't get what you want, you learn to trust his goodness and his wisdom and to trust that he loves you. And how do we know that he loves you? Because he gave his own son for you. How can we know if God is for us? Well, Paul says in Romans 8 that he who did not spare his own son but graciously gave him up for us all, how would he not also graciously with him give us all things? That God is for you and Jesus coming into the world, laying down his life, sacrificing his life on the cross is this demonstration in history, in the person and work of Jesus that God loves you. He pursues you. He chases after you with patience and grace and persistence, always moving towards you, always chasing after you, running after you like we sang. His goodness is running after you. He pursues you with his mercy and his grace and his comfort over and over and over again. And Jesus Christ is the historical, powerful, personal declaration that God loves you. And Jesus leads us into this relationship saying, I want you to know God's joy like I know God's joy. I want you to trust God's wisdom like I trust God's wisdom. I want you to experience God's delight like I experience God's delight. And I want you to surrender to God's will just like I surrendered to God's will where Jesus in the Garden of Eden did plead with God, saying, I don't want to experience the cross. There's gotta be another way. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want be done. And Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and laid down his life to, to actually bring you and I into relationship with God the Father Almighty. And in that position of children of God, sons and daughters of the living God, we have this invitation to talk to the God of the universe as a father and to ask for things, to seek him for things, 
and to knock, trusting that he's good and he's wise and he loves us. And when we cultivate that sort of dependence, we mature as children that experience the presence of God, the power of God, and the joy of God in our lives. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come right now asking you to work in power. Uh, We are knocking right now saying we don't even want this moment in a church service, whether people are in home, in living rooms, uh, around the city, or here in this building, uh, we don't want to keep living life apart from you. We don't want to shut our Bibles, click off our screens, get out of here and go back to living life as sort of autonomous, independent, self-sufficient human beings. We want to be dependent on you. We want you to work. So would you pour out your spirit right now For those that are wandering from a place of dependence towards self-sufficiency like I do all the time, would you restore in us desperation for those who doubt your goodness because of things they've asked for for years and years and years that you haven't answered the way that they long to see you answer for? Would you heal in them hope and trust in your goodness and in your wisdom? For those who experience wounds from fathers or mothers or experiences in this life that make it hard to trust and even approach you as a good father, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, heal? Heal those places, comfort them, mend those areas of brokenness, tend to people with gentleness and compassion. And so would you work in our lives, even right now in this moment, in Christ's name, amen.